Turn with me to Job. Turn with me to the book of Job, and we're going to go to chapter 19 of Job. Very close to the center of this book, to the heart of the book, and truly, this statement that Job is going to make is, in fact, the heart of the book. Notice here Job 19, and we're going to drop down. It'd be nice to be able to read all of it, but for time's sake today, we're going to jump in here in verse 23. And notice these words from Job himself here. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. (laughs) Oh, that with a pen of iron and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. How my heart faints within me. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that those words were inscribed and being read in 2018. What a joy it is to read these words. And out of a place of despair, they came. Lord Jesus, today we may be in despair. But we don't have to live in that despair today. For you have risen. You are our hope. Be that hope today for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. He is risen. You see, he is not dead. The journey has just begun. And so last week, with great expectation and joy... We came here and worshiped together and had just a blowout Sunday. And a lot of times people have one of these things where they go down the next Sunday because they're just like, oh, well, now we're back to our regular groove. But nothing remains the same after Easter, after the resurrection of our Lord. Because truly, get this, truly, every single Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. We start the week, every single week, by reminding one another that He is risen. He is risen indeed. Yes, and it's something to celebrate. And even in these old bodies of ours that break down and that at times give us trouble, we can say with Job that one day in our body we will see Jesus, our Savior, who resurrected first and is the pioneer of our faith. You see, it's just like getting accepted for a job or matriculating into a school. That's just the beginning. It's exciting to get that letter, truly. Yes, I was accepted. 
But the journey that you're about to embark upon is going to be great often. And sometimes when you're on that journey, it's not going to feel as great as when you got that first letter, is it? And you know what? Every Sunday, you're going to pack some things in here. You're going to drag some things into this place. And it's not going to be this great, holy celebration of what we experienced last week. But you know what? Underneath all of that, and if we could just see with the eye of faith, even beyond this physical body and this physical world that we live in, if we could see with spiritual eyes, we would know, we would know eternal life with Christ and that He has already defeated death and there is no need to ultimately worry. I understand worry. I understand anxiety. You know, we deal with it all the time with our kids, with each other. And it is the truthfulness of life that we deal with things. And that's okay because every once in a while, it's good for me to be like I am today with a weak voice. It reminds me that this voice is not all that matters. Jesus matters. I can do my best and, you know, whatever else, and you can do your best, but at the end of the day, it's Christ in us that is the power of God, not our own body, not our own power. And so it's good to be reminded to break down every once in a while. I mean, just like in your vehicle, right? You run around in your vehicle all the time until you can't. And then you're like, wow, I really use this thing a lot. Or maybe your phone is even a greater example in the modern era, isn't it? I mean, we can do without our car, but not our phone, my goodness. I mean, I can Uber if I need to, if I have my phone. But my car is fine, but not my phone. And so imagine not having your phone. And then all of a sudden you appreciate your phone more. And it's days like this where I can appreciate the voice that God has given me. And I want to use it for His glory. Even if it's eking out something. (laughs) That doesn't sound so great. You know, Job had a way worse time than I do. And that I have in my life. Job is sort of the epitome of everything that could go wrong, that did go wrong. You remember, he was blessed with children, blessed with riches. And all within a few days, he loses it all. We get this story in chapters 1 and 2, where we are privy to something that Job is never privy to. He's never introduced to this idea that Satan comes seeking to sift him, seeking to attack him. It's not... God's plan for Job. God's plan for Job was to bless him. And he did that. And to have a hedge of protection around him. And he did that. But Satan makes this conference with God in the beginning. Job never knows about this. And yet, here's Job in the middle of his suffering in chapter 19. I mean, you remember his friends come to him. They say, hey, we're going to wait with you, buddy. They, they weep with him for a little while, and then they start saying, Hey, Job, you, you know the reason this happened, don't you, bud? You sinned, man. You know? And, and you brought this on yourself. I mean, it, it's just, you know, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but that's what's happened, Job. He says, Guys, I'm serious. I've not sinned against God. And they continually, one after the next, all three of his friends, and then this young cat that comes in. He does the same thing. He has a word and he thinks he's got it down. And, and most of the book of Job, this is fascinating to me. 
It took me a long time to, to hear this really in my life, to understand this in the book of Job. Most of the theology about God in Job is wrong. In other words, God has a book here in the wisdom literature that is teaching us how not to think about God. And one of those things is the old adage that you've done something to bring this upon yourself. And we feel this, don't we, sometimes when we look upon someone else in pity? We say, well, you know, they deserved it, really. I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, I've stopped saying that in my life. Because I deserve the worst. I do. And he was gracious enough Hear me to forgive me. Gracious. I deserve hell. I do. We don't look like it. And I know, trust me, I, I, you don't look like you're the type of people to go to hell. But I deserved hell. I was my own God. I used people. And he forgave me. And washed away my sins. He erased all of the sins that I had committed. But he didn't stop there. Thanks be to God. He also freed me to love other people. There began to grow in me a love for others that I knew was not just for me. It was a love from God and a gift of His Holy Spirit. And He can free us. We just sang about it, didn't we? From the chains of darkness and sin. Job's story is one of suffering. And most of our lives are filled with all types of various sufferings. Some of the things you deal with may not look like much to me, but they are to you. And they're chains that hold us down. They may not be visible to others, but they are visible to you and those that you would allow into your life. And what a day and time we live where so many things, so many things are pushed down, so many things we try to hide. From others. We try to project this image of ourself. And what we're doing is we're making an image which is disobedience to the second command of God. In the Ten Commandments, do not make any images of me. And here we are forging our own image when we are already the image of God. Let us grow up into that form. That's what he would have for us. Because here's the thing. God is not playing a short game with us. God plays the long game. He has a long-term strategy for our life. And listen to me. This is what Job teaches us. He is willing to allow suffering to remain in order to point us to him. Job's suffering eventually 
got God to come down. And our suffering, right or wrong, got God to come down in Jesus Christ and punish death and defeat death, suffering, sin forever and ever and ever. Amen. It was our suffering. (laughs) And he said, if you've got to drink this medicine of death, then I will too. I'll show you that it's okay and I'll go first. Job says, man, you know what? My Redeemer lives. Just can we enter in and and look, I don't want to unpack too much here where where we get stuck, but can you just for just a moment imagine being Job? Job is a book that we believe is one of the first written books in the Bible. Even before Genesis. Now the stories in Genesis, of course, are older than Job. But Moses is the final author of Genesis. So Job is before Moses. This is an ancient, ancient book. The Hebrew is ancient. There's no mention of a temple. There's no mention of land. There's no mention of exodus. There's no mention of proper sacrifices like they would have been known to do in Judaism. None of that. You get zero zilch, none of it. So we believe this is the most ancient book we have. Job doesn't have anything, much like Abraham didn't have anything, but a promise from God. We don't even know where the promise came from. He doesn't tell us, yeah, I was reading the other day and it says my Redeemer lives. He is literally on faith saying, God, I think you brought all this suffering upon me. Remember, he didn't get this privy that we get in 1 and 2, seeing Satan, the accuser, who was accusing him, who is accusing us even now, before God. That's what the Bible says he does. He doesn't get that picture. He doesn't get that conversation like we're able to have at the beginning of Job. And yet, he thinks God has sent this upon him, and he still wants to see God. That kind of blows my mind a little bit. And he says, look, I know there is a redeemer somewhere that can tell these people that I did not sin and cause this suffering. It wasn't my sin that caused this suffering. Something else is going on. And he says, that redeemer one day will stand on the earth. And I'm going to see him In my body. Again, Job hasn't been reading about Easter. There has been no Easter. And yet he says, in my flesh and body. And then he emphasizes it, doesn't he? He says, look, I'm telling you, with my own eyes I shall behold. Not somebody else, not another, but me. I will lay my eyes. Do we, I had to really, when I read this again... I had to really ask myself, do I believe in the resurrection like that? We have more proof than Job. But do I believe in the resurrection like that? That I believe this body right here that is presented before you today, that you're hearing right now, this body, that it will be raised. That it will stand before God. And that every other body 
in this room and outside of this room and that has passed before us or that will be will stand before God. That's quite a thought, friends. And it's something to nail into the foundation of our life because the resurrection is the central, most significant event in human history. And somehow, somehow, old Job knows about it before there ever is any resurrection. He believes in it. Why is that? Because Job knew that God did not make a mistake in his creation. That's how. Job has a solid theology, if nothing else, about creation. God created us as humans with a body, and then he breathes within us his life. Is that not what we recounted in our reading today? Jesus, in his appearing in John 20, breathes on them and says, receive the Spirit. What does that remind us of? Genesis. Genesis 2, where he breathes within them the breath, Spirit of life. We are spiritual, and we are material. We're very material. We can't help it. When we get tired, certain things happen. When we drink lots of fluids, we leak. Trust me, I was told to drink a lot of fluid, and you get the point. We are fragile, aren't we? One wrong turn and metal shreds right through us, ending our life. We're that fragile. Within a second, we can be gone. You've seen it happen. Here one minute, gone the next. Just like that. And yet, we're spiritual. Untouchable. Unkillable. Eternal. We're both made of soul and matter. What an interesting creation. And God says, I like that. That's good. He does something with us that He doesn't do with anything else in His creation. He gives us directly His Holy Spirit. And He places us at the apex of His creation. He says, you know what? I created, now you create. I tended to the animals and to you. Now you do it to each other and to the animals. You're responsible now. What a fascinating creation. God didn't make a mistake with our body. That's why our body will be saved on the last day. Do you see my point here? Job believed in a resurrection simply because... He knew that creation was good. Let me just tell you, because every year, again, I I spend time studying other religions and even teaching about other religions. Every single semester, every single year, I look at it anew and afresh. And every time I am struck by this one point 
that the other religions never properly address, and that is the body. Trust me when I say, without having to go into a long, semester-long explanation, nobody deals with the body like Christianity does. Nobody. And the reason we can, and the reason the body remains a good thing to be united to us in heaven is because of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead who pioneers a new way to be human. You're not the same old human as when you encountered the risen Lord. You are not the same. Now, this world deceives us because overnight I don't get a shiny body. The next day, after I receive Jesus Christ and get my letter of acceptance, I may come down ill. No, this world tries to deceive us and bring us down. Just like when spring is breaking forth, frost comes in and tries to break it down. Darkness and clouds and gloom. But spring will Come, my friends. The light will shine, my friends. And in this body, He's going to resurrect it and put it back anew and better than it ever has been before. The things that we don't get to experience here, that our body should experience here, will be experienced. I don't know how, but He didn't make us For nothing. He made us for something. And the desires that He has given us, He can either realign those desires or He will fulfill those desires with His love. But either way, we can live a fulfilled, human, bodily existence. Now, and forevermore. What a thought that even in the face of death, we can laugh. It's always struck me, and some people, you know, in the moment, and I understand, I I really do, I understand the sentiment. In the moment, they get angry when they go to the funeral home and people are laughing. And you always, you know, I've been to plenty of funerals. People are always laughing and, you know, but that's, necessary. It may be a good time to say it now since no one I know is immediately grieving in here, but that laughter is necessary because that person, really, no matter who they are, had something funny happen in their life. They had something, even in the worst of people, something small to celebrate. And that's worth laughing about. It's worth chuckling about. It's worth allowing a little joy in. And especially (laughs) for those who have died in Jesus Christ, there needs to be laughter. There must be celebration for a life lived well. For the plant that has gone, or a seed that has gone now into the ground that will one day, one day, just as sure as you hear my voice right now, will spring forth in new life with the same 
body. <laughs> Did you not catch it? I mean, he believes it more than I do, I think. And he, he doesn't even have the proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, look, when I decay and my skin is destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. He says, I'm not even talking about some kind of spiritual nonsense where I'm floating around like some ghost embodied. No, I'm in my body right here. This body for Job that had boils on it. He was sitting in sackcloth and ashes with his wife telling him, Buddy, look, just curse God and get it over with. Obviously, he hates you. That's what she said. <clears throat> Which at the time, you know, he didn't, he didn't know what happened at the beginning in 1 and 2. No, Jesus' incarnation. I'm telling you. Again, I, you know, Jessica warns me always when I bring up the whole world religions thing. She's like, I don't think people want to hear about all that. But I just, I got to tell you, there is no religion in the world and never has been that talks about incarnation like Christianity does. There's not one. You say, oh no, I can go to the Egyptians and they believe in an incarnation. I can go to the Hindus and they believe in tons of incarnation and avatars and all of this. And that's correct, they do. But not one of those gods or goddesses remains that way forever. Not in a body. They only take it on for a little while. In the Bhagavad Gita, Vishnu comes down as Krishna and talks to Arjuna in a chariot. But then he goes back to being Vishnu. He doesn't remain. Why would you remain in a body? Have you had a body recently? Have you been sick anytime soon? I have. It's not always fun to have a body. It's very limiting to have a body. To be without body, the Hindus say, that is heaven. Hell is being in a body reincarnated over and over and over again. Reincarnation, you see, is hell in Hinduism. Samsara is freedom from having to be reincarnated. You cease to exist. You're blown out. They view it as nirvana, which is a flame blown out. But not Christianity. No, 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 no. The body can be good. The body, God says, is good. Nobody believes that. That's something very difficult to believe, is it not? Hasn't our body led us astray on more than one occasion? Hasn't our body, when our Spirit is willing, been very weak. Amen. (laughs) And God joins Himself to humanity. He doesn't demand that we exist like Him. Think about this. This is insane. He doesn't demand, get rid of that stinking body so you can be like me, who is spirit. Because we're told, God is spirit. No, instead, he joins himself to humanity forever in a body. A human 
body that fed at the breast of his mother Mary. Had to have his diaper changed. What kind of God is this? One that is in hot pursuit of you. One that will do whatever it takes to get to us. And he becomes one of us. And he places humanity right in the center of who God is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now there is a human in heaven. A human with a body. A resurrected body. See here, my palms. Touch here, my side. And we will see that side. And we will see those palms one day. What a thought, friends. What a salvation, brothers and sisters. Nobody else has that word. No one. There's no document in the world that claims this kind of stuff. And then when you talk about resurrection, nobody talks about it like Christianity does. Yeah, of course, everybody talks about it in the seasons. The grass coming back is a resurrection. A dogwood that has been just bone dry now is budding with new life. Yes, but I'm talking about not a resuscitation but a resurrection forever, never, ever, ever to die again. That's the distinction. Never to go dormant again, you understand? this, This seasonal thing is not enough. That's cyclical, which always leads to mythical, which is why pagans are only half right. They worship nature. They don't go far enough to worship in the creator of nature. It's the fundamental problem of paganism and of all types of polytheism. There is no one like our God. And the modern God, the modern God comes from another tree. Not the tree of worshiping nature, but the tree of worshiping ourself. And it's a more dangerous one, I think, than worshiping nature. Some of us are still in a tomb of darkness. And we keep trying to, if I could just understand things, if if I just had a little more proof, if I just had this or just had, and we have clouded ourselves in a fog of doubt and of despair. Brothers and sisters, the light has shone. The stone, have you not heard, is rolled away. The light shines and now forevermore the dawn is breaking. And soon the sun will rise in its fullness. And in its fullness on the last day there will never be night again. hate to do another plug here. There is no religion in the world that properly gets rid of evil like Christianity does. I, I'm t- you can believe it or not. Go study it for yourself. 
or not, I'm telling you right now, I can save you some time. There's not one document that really believes evil will be addressed forever. All we know is evil and suffering that still commingles with holiness and goodness. And that will be, excuse me, from birth to death, our existence here. But after that death, we won't die again. He will resurrect us to new life and there will be no more sea. Revelation tells us. And sea always represents for the ancient mind the mythical mind, chaos, the unknown, suffering, evil. I mean, talk to a sailor, right? Fisherman's friend. These are great, by the way. Talk to a fisherman sometime deep in sea, especially in the ancient world. The sea was no place that was happy. There's things lurking in the sea that you don't want to know about, that I don't need to know about. And God, through his great wisdom in Revelation, says, there's not going to be any more sea. Nope, it'll be over. Darkness, evil will have its final day. Thanks be to God for that. And it's only through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What was the great message that the early church had to go from literally being a bunch of ragtag nobodies to in 312 A.D. being now the religion of an entire Roman world? How did they do that? Well, they did it through the small things. They didn't go to the greats and the grands of their day. They did it through small ways. one way was they would go to the garbage dump and there they would find little babies that had deformities. We know this from the early documents. They would have deformities. And they would pick those babies up and take them home and raise them handicapped. Nobody else was doing that. It's a waste of time and money. But they were the early Christians where some of you are, some of you are adopting, fostering, growing children for Jesus. It's the small things. They had about a 3% growth rate and that did it over time. Why? Because God is in it for the long game. Are you? We want immediate results. We want to say, I want to follow you, Jesus, and overnight our checking account goes up. Overnight, our complete health is restored. No, this is a long game. He's way more concerned with your heart and your character than just your body. Because this body is going to die. It's going to fail us. But if we have the hope of Jesus Christ, if we have encountered the risen Lord Here, there is a seed of eternal life that will one day bring this old body along with it. What a thought that is. As we touch one another today, and as we see each other today, what a thought that is that inside of that body is something 
that will grow into something more glorious than we've ever seen anywhere in this world. Think of the most amazing place you've ever seen and the splendor of that will be as nothing compared to one saint of God in a resurrected body. And he calls us home. He calls us to our fulfillment. Only he holds the key. Job, even in the midst of suffering, believed this, friends. He didn't have the evidence we have today. He didn't have the brothers and sisters around him. We have today saying, come on, brother, you can do this. You're made for more than that. You're living subpar. This is about a long game. Are you in it for the long game? This is not about just short-term gain. He's got way more at play than we can imagine. But he bids us, just follow me. Your job, follow me. Let me handle that big strategy of the end. You be faithful. One thing I really appreciate about Bob Motor is every time he prays that I've heard him pray, he says, Lord, keep us faithful because it really, truly is the thing we need the most. He says that the Word of God will be a light unto our path like a lamp. Not a spotlight, but a lamp for the next step. We just need the next step, Lord. Would you show us the next step, Lord, in our marriage? Would you show us the next step in our family? Would you show us the next step in our job? Would you show us the next step, Lord, in my relationships, in this sin problem I have? Would you show me the next step? What if we live by faith like that? What if we had the faith like Job? We can, and we can have it more assuredly than even he. Because today... You can look in the tomb for yourself. He is not there. He is risen. (laughs) And we must encounter the risen Lord. And we can. He wants to be found. He is not hiding. We're the ones that are hiding. We're the ones like Elijah who are still in the cave. And he says, if you'll come out, I'll speak with you. It won't be in the big earthquake or the firestorm or the windstorm, but it'll be in a small whisper. And when somebody's whispering, you have to draw closer to them. Would you draw close today to the risen Lord, He can meet you today. Encounter Him in all of His glory. And what you will find is everything else thrown in. Our job is to turn our eyes to King Jesus and let Him be King of our life. To follow the risen Lord, for he is risen forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.